0: Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them taking you to the world famous Vegas strip and beyond my name is Jeff and this is Jeff does Vegas welcome to episode number 141 of Jeff does Vegas before we get into it for this episode of the podcast i just wanted to take a moment to thank my guest from the last episode Claire White the Director of Education at the Mob Museum and former staffer at the now-closed Liberace Museum in Las Vegas. Claire joined me for a conversation all about Mr. Showmanship himself, the one and only Liberace. We dove into his personal life, we talked about how he paved the way for Vegas Headliners of today, we discussed some of his more memorable TV appearances, and much more. If you haven't listened yet, jump into the archives at JeffDoesVegas.com or search out episode number 140, Mr. Showmanship, Liberace in Las Vegas. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Here we go. It's another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. This time around, I'll be recapping my most recent trip to Vegas from January 23rd to 26th, 2023, the first of what I'm hoping will be many trips to Las Vegas this year. This was a solo trip, and I'd originally hoped to do a few interviews for the podcast while I was in town. Unfortunately, nothing came to fruition, so I basically spent the trip relaxing, visiting with friends, and just enjoying my time away for a few days. As per usual, I've got reviews of my hotel stay, meals, and the shows and attractions I visited, as well as a few additional thoughts and observations to add, which you'll be able to find at the end of the episode. All right, enough delay. Let's get this underway. Let's start off with my hotel experience. This time around, I decided to stay at Planet Hollywood. I'd stayed there on a previous trip back in November of 2019 and very much enjoyed my experience at the property, so I figured, let's give it another shot. If you're not familiar with the layout of the Vegas Strip, Planet Hollywood is in a prime location. It's on the east side of Las Vegas Boulevard, almost center strip, just south of the Paris and across the street from the Bellagio and the Cosmopolitan. Fun fact about Planet Hollywood, back in 2000, when it originally opened as the new Aladdin Hotel, its grand opening celebrations didn't exactly go as planned. First off, the hotel opening was delayed by over 12 hours, while inspectors from the county finished their fire safety tests and last-minute repairs to the casino's surveillance system were completed. All of this resulted in thousands of visitors leaving and opening night hotel guests having to be shuffled off to other properties. And to add to the problems, on opening weekend, it's rumored that professional gamblers went in and took advantage of the casino's inexperienced staff and managed to take the Aladdin for a huge amount of cash. I arrived into Vegas late Monday afternoon, and after a short Lyft ride, I was at Planet Hollywood by around 4.30 p.m., Headed for check-in, and within a few minutes, I had my room key in hand and was on my way to the South Tower, room 1545. I'd booked an ultra-hip king room, which was the same type of room that I'd stayed in before, so I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting. Lots of space, a big, comfortable king-size bed, a fridge for snacks and drinks, a nice sitting area, a huge bathroom with a soaker tub, and lots of storage. There were, however, a couple of issues with the room. Number one, the flapper inside the toilet tank had a very small leak, which meant that every 10 to 15 minutes or so, the toilet would run for about five seconds to bring the tank level back up. Initially, I didn't notice this when I first got into the room because I basically dropped my bags, unpacked a few items, then headed out to dinner and was gone for the evening. However, I could hear it throughout the night as I was trying to sleep, and it was mildly annoying. I temporarily solved the problem by just closing the bathroom door. Then in the morning, I actually took the lid off the toilet tank and adjusted the flapper myself, which seemed to fix it. Issue number two, I could hear a constant rumbling noise that seemed to be coming from the ceiling or wall. It actually sounded like something moving back and forth on the floor above me. Now, I literally have no idea what this noise was. The only possibility I can think of is the elevators, which still doesn't make a lot of sense to me considering how far away I was from the actual elevators. I'm thinking that maybe there was a gap between the ceiling and the floor above my room And the sound of the elevators was just carrying through that space. The other thing that I'll quickly mention about my stay is the housekeeping or lack thereof. I didn't have housekeeping come to my room once during my entire stay. Now, granted, I usually only need them to come in and empty the garbage cans and maybe replace the towels. But even that didn't happen on this trip. Third day into my stay, I was gone from around 9 a.m. until 2.30 p.m., and I made sure to remove the occupied door hanger from my door so that housekeeping would see it and come in. When I came back to the room, nothing had been done. As for the overall property, I'm a huge fan of Planet Hollywood, particularly the fact that the Miracle Mile Shops is attached to the main level of the resort. This means you've got direct access to tons of shopping where you can pick up anything you might need, as well as lots of dining options over and above the ones located inside the casino. Everything from quick, easy options for grab and go, right up to higher end sit down meals. As an aside, Miracle Mile is also home to Ocean One Bar and Grill which bills itself as Vegas's busiest restaurant. This is thanks to their three-for-one cocktails and their lunch menu where every item is just $5.99. If you're looking for a spot to stay in Vegas with great rooms, a great location, and lots of fantastic amenities on site, I would highly recommend checking out Planet Hollywood on your next visit. <laughs> Next up, let's talk about my favorite part of my Vegas trips, food. Despite being a relatively short trip, I still managed to hit up a good mixture of my usual favorites, as well as a couple of new-to-me restaurants as well. Starting off with the repeats. Village Pub and Cafe at Ellis Island this place has become my go-to breakfast spot in Las Vegas. You'll find Ellis Island about a block off the strip, tucked in behind Bally's on Coval Lane, just south of Flamingo Road. In my opinion, Village Pub and Cafe is pretty much the best value when it comes to breakfast. I got the cinnamon French toast, a side of bacon, and a coffee with a tip that only ran me about 15 bucks. If I was anywhere on the strip, I'd be looking at paying double that price for the same meal. Village Cafe isn't just for breakfast, though. They are open 24 hours, and they've got a huge menu with pretty much anything you could ask for. Plus, Ellis Island has become quite well known for their massive selection of craft beers. Virgil's Real Barbecue on the Link Promenade. Now, it's been a while since I've been to Virgil's, mainly because the last few times I tried to go, it was so busy that I couldn't get in. Not the case on this trip, and I was able to snag a seat at the bar. They have changed up the menu a little bit, and unfortunately, they've eliminated one of my favorite items, the po boy sandwiches. However, the barbecue is still awesome. I went with the Carolina pulled pork sandwich with potato salad and coleslaw as my sides. My meal came out ridiculously fast, like within 10 minutes of me ordering. Everything was Fantastic. The pulled pork had the right amount of spice and tasted great, and the salads tasted homemade. I should also add the portion size was perfect, and I didn't walk out of Virgil's feeling totally stuffed. And Grand Lux Cafe in the Venetian. This is another spot I haven't been to in quite some time, again, because of the crowds. The last few times I've wanted to get in, the place was packed, and even as a solo diner, I would have been looking at a 30- to 45-minute wait. I decided to give it a try for breakfast on my last morning in Vegas, and I had a great experience. They did have a breakfast buffet available for $24.95 per person, but I decided to order off the menu instead. After deciding that Vegas calories don't really count, I ordered the cinnamon caramel banana pancakes with a side of bacon, and I was not disappointed. The food was absolutely fantastic. However, the portion size was quite large, and I was not able to finish the entire meal. I should also add Grand Lux Cafe has an absolutely massive menu, including some great late-night eats. So no matter what time of day you're looking for a bite to eat, It's a great spot for you to check out. Now, for the new-to-me spots that I had a chance to visit on this trip. Starting off with Flight Club in the Grand Canal shops at the Venetian. I sort of ended up here by accident. I was headed to a show at the Venetian and was looking to grab a beer and a quick bite to eat. I had initially headed to Trustworthy Brewing Company, where I've been a few times before, and really enjoyed it. But upon sitting down at the bar and asking for a food menu, I was informed that the kitchen was closed because, and I quote, it wasn't busy enough to bother keeping it open. This was at 8.15 p.m. on a Tuesday night. The bartender at Trustworthy actually recommended Flight Club to me, so I headed down the mall to check it out. Flight Club is billed as the home of social darts and caters to groups of people looking to hang out and play darts. They do have some individual tables and spots at the bar inside, so I grabbed a seat there. Being that it's a darts pub, I was expecting pub food, but that wasn't the case at all. It's a little more bougie than that, with things like Kung Pao cauliflower, steak kushiaki skewers, and black and white hummus on the menu. I went with the ginger vegetable dumplings, and they were pretty great. Flight Club also has a very extensive drink menu featuring specialty cocktails and lots of local craft beers, so I gave the Las Vegas Brewing Company's Chantilly Vanilla Cream Ale a try. Delicious. I'd love to give Flight Club another shot on a future trip when I can actually just spend some social time there hanging out and playing some darts. Next up, it's Ramsey's Kitchen by Gordon Ramsey at Harrah's. This is the newest entry to the Las Vegas restaurant scene from celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay. It's a little weird to see a restaurant of this caliber in a location like Harrah's, which let's face it, isn't the classiest hotel on the strip, but word is they're trying to go a little more upscale and refresh the property. So I guess it'll make sense in the end. All the usual Gordon Ramsay favorites are here, including the scallops, the risotto, and the legendary beef Wellington. I went with the beef Wellington for dinner. It was amazing. It was cooked to a perfect medium rare with a red wine demi glaze, and it came with potato puree and baby carrots. I also had the maitake mushroom on the side. And to drink, I went with a specialty cocktail called the spiced pear. Now, be warned. Eating at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant is not a cheap meal. My meal was up above the $100 mark, but I can honestly say it was totally worth every single penny. And finally, the Peppermill at the north end of Las Vegas Boulevard. I've been wanting to try the Peppermill for a while now. It always comes very highly recommended in all the Vegas related Facebook groups that I'm a part of, especially for breakfast. The place always seems to be packed, and it's achieved legendary status in the city, having been around since the early 1970s. The restaurant has been featured in several movies, including Casino, The Cotton Club, and Showgirls, and they've been patronized by celebs like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, Guy Fieri, and Floyd Mayweather. My experience, however, was extremely disappointing. As anyone who's a regular listener of my trip reports knows— I am an eggs Benedict fiend. I love me a good Benny. And if there's one on the menu, I'm having it. So that's what I ordered. The eggs Benedict at the pepper mill was, putting it nicely, terrible. The eggs were extremely runny, almost like they were done sunny side up instead of poached. And the hollandaise sauce was completely tasteless and totally bland. Even the hash browns were bland and seemed underdone. Sadly, the Peppermill lands on my overrated list for Las Vegas, and it's highly unlikely that I'll be back. Now, let's talk about attractions and shows I was able to check out on this trip. To start, we're going to take a little trek off the strip, and this one is for the car fanatics in the audience. If you're into good old fashioned American muscle cars, I would highly recommend heading over to the Carroll Shelby Heritage Center. For those not in the know, Carroll Shelby was an American car designer, race driver, and entrepreneur who's perhaps best known for his work modifying and designing upgrades for the AC Cobra, the Dodge Viper, and the Ford Mustang. In 1995, Carroll Shelby moved his businesses to Las Vegas and signed on as the first tenant in the industrial park at the then under construction Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where he'd have unlimited access to the track in order to test the vehicles he was building. The year after Shelby passed away in 2012, Shelby American moved to their current location just west of the Town Square shopping mall. The Carroll Shelby Heritage Center is home to over 30 classic Shelby vehicles and tells the full story of Carroll Shelby along with the company he started in 1962. The Heritage Center is just over 15,000 square feet and, in addition to the cars on display, features a massive retail area where you can buy everything from clothing to models to collectibles to Shelby performance parts for you to add on to your own vehicle. There's also a 150,000-square-foot production facility where technicians work to build exclusive Shelby vehicles. Admission to the Carroll Shelby Heritage Center is free for self-guided tours, or you could sign up for a VIP tour that will not only take you through the main museum with a guide, but also behind-the-scenes into the workshop, and you'll get a gift bag with some exclusive Shelby merchandise. You can find details on the Carol Shelby Heritage Center online at shelby.com. Next up, we're headed to the Old West. Okay, not really, but sort of. We're headed to the Atomic Saloon show at the Venetian. On this trip, I happen to run into Colin Cahill, a good friend of mine who was a guest here on the podcast back in April of 2020. Colin is one of the leads in Atomic Saloon, and he invited me to come check out the show. Bit of background on Atomic Saloon, the show is part of the Spiegelworld family. It's the same group that produces Absinthe at Caesars Palace and Opium at the Cosmopolitan. Spiegelworld is also looking to add a fourth disco-themed show to Vegas, and they recently purchased the small town of Nipton, California in the Mojave Desert to use as their global headquarters where they'll create and develop new material. Now, this is not my first rodeo in the saloon. My wife and I saw the show on one of our trips back in 2019, and we absolutely loved it. I said it then, and I'll say it again now. Atomic Saloon is easily one of the best, if not the best, shows in Vegas right now. It's got everything you could ever ask for. Music, comedy, stunts, audience participation, half-naked women, half-naked men, even a cute little dog. Now, be warned, Atomic Saloon is not for the easily offended. There is a lot of adult humor in the show, so you need to go into it with an open mind. You also have to be at least 18 years of age to attend the show. Also, keep in mind that if you happen to get seats on the floor level within sight of the stage, like I did this time around, you will become a part of the show. So, be a good sport and enjoy. If you want to know more about Atomic Saloon and get your hands on tickets, you can visit Spiegel World's website at spiegelworld.com. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up this trip report, but as per usual, I do have a couple of additional thoughts I wanted to share before I let you go. I'm still seeing lots of limited hours on restaurants up and down the Strip. There are quite a few places that used to be open for breakfast and lunch that are now only open for dinners. So if you're headed out somewhere in particular, you may want to double check the hours before you go. I also noticed a few places that have limited the days of the week they're open. So again, if there's somewhere specific you're planning to eat, hop online to confirm the place you want is available. Some of the more popular big name restaurants are quite busy and I overheard a lot of people complaining about long waits or not being able to get in at all. So if you've got your heart set on anywhere, it might be a good idea to go on open table or any of the other booking websites and make a reservation so you're not disappointed and missing out on your preferred dining experience. The scammers on the Strip were out in full force this time around. I've talked about some of the common scams in past episodes of the podcast, but I'll recap a couple of them here for you. So-called rap artists trying to hand out free CDs to passers-by. Basic gist of it is they'll hand you a CD of their latest music, offer to autograph it for you, then demand money from you. Chances are the CD is totally blank and you've just handed over $20 or more for nothing. And the fake Buddhist monks, handing out either beaded bracelets or prayer cards. If you've got a hand or an arm out as you walk past them, they'll slap one of these bracelets on you and then demand money from you. And if you take it off, they'll refuse to take it back from you. Same thing with the prayer cards. They'll put them in your hand, then block your path until you give them cash, and they'll refuse to take it if you try to hand it back. The timeshare salespeople and the costumed showgirls seemed particularly aggressive this time around. Usually as a solo traveler, I can move around relatively unbothered, but not this time. I had several timeshare people try to rope me in, and the costume showgirls were very pushy when it came to asking for photos, even getting downright rude when they were told no or no thank you. And finally, rideshare. I've noticed a somewhat steady decline in the quality of rideshare service on my last few trips. Not the quality of the driving, that's been fine, but the quality of the drivers. Honestly, I've never had so many negative experiences in a single trip as I had this time around. I had one driver who talked on his phone the entire time, and another driver who didn't even acknowledge me when I got into his car. Like, he didn't confirm who I was, where I was going, or say goodbye when I got out of the car at my destination. Now I'm not looking for an in-depth conversation during my ride, but I'm not averse to a bit of friendly chit-chat, or at the very least, recognize the fact that a total stranger just climbed into your back seat. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, Or drop me an email directly at jeff at jeffdoesvegas.com.